Welcome to The Archetypist, the only analytics-based genre fiction podcast. I'm Jacob, one of your hosts here with a great interview for you today about journalistic writing and how to incorporate journalism into your fiction, whether that's through an epigraph at the beginning of a chapter, through a character trait, or if you're looking to write a journalistic narrative yourself. So without further ado, please enjoy Josh Wetmore. Today, we're with Josh Wetmore to discuss journalistic writing. Uh, Many writers include epigraphs in their novels, and especially in mystery and thriller, these often include excerpts from local newspapers in the fictional world that you've created. Um, So we have curated a great expert for you today on journalistic writing, uh, Josh Wetmore. Um, Josh, why don't you say some interesting things about yourself? Yeah. uh, Hi. Um, So my... Sort of beginnings with journalism is uh, I went to the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University, um, which, yeah, it's it's one of the top journalism programs in the country. I was very fortunate to get in. Um, and yeah, newspaper journalism major um, for all four years. I wrote for a number of student publications while I was there. I also did do a good deal of uh, sports broadcasting work as well, which won't come in too much to this discussion, but was was part of my journalistic experience. And then after that, I was a sports information director um, doing media for college athletic departments for six years, um, which definitely is not the same thing as being a hardcore journalist, but does involve a lot of journalistic style writing um, for sports, both for features and just for game recaps and other hard news and press releases and all of that. Uh, during that time, I had a number of student workers with me um, who I would teach to write journalistically. So the the teaching of it is also familiar for me. Uh, so that's most of my background. Um, so while I was never actually working for a newspaper, um, I do feel pretty confident uh, talking about the journalistic style and and that process. Sure. Josh, I actually was, um, I was one of Josh's workers for a long time. Um, he taught me how to write uh, sports game recap articles and that sort of thing, which is a little bit different, like you've kind of alluded to in your introduction. Yeah, hard fa- news. fairly similar stylistically, which is mostly what we're getting into today. That The real difference is your perspective, where when you're writing a game recap for an athletic department as an employee, you are trying to make the athletic department look good. When you're an actual journalist, that's not your job. Your job is to tell the truth. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. Well, for, for real journalists who are actually being journalists, that is what you're supposed to do. Um, whereas an SID, that is not what you're supposed to do. Um, you're supposed to make the, you know, the, the teams and the school look good um, while still not fabricating anything. So um, it is, it's different um, in terms of perspective and maybe sometimes in tone, but not really. It, it should be pretty similar in terms of style. So we're talking about um, hard news specifically in this in this podcast. Could you kind of give us a little bit of a, a rundown on when people in the industry talk about hard news, what publications or sources are they really looking at? Well, first of all, I would just say delineating hard news from other things. So hard news is a type of journalism that is really reporting on facts. It's reporting on answering the question words, you know, the the how, what, why, when, where, who questions about something that is recently happened. Um, so it's not a feature story. It's not an opinion. It's not a column. It is not analysis. It is what happened and getting into those details and trying to just share the news of an important event with people. So in terms of who is doing this, um, a lot of people do hard news. Um, your local TV station, you know, when they do the nightly news is mostly doing hard news. Certainly newspapers are doing hard news and that often now means websites. And that's where this stuff gets blended because your nightly news station also has a website and your newspaper has a website. And then there are websites that are just websites that many claim to be journalists doing hard news, but aren't. And some are, um, is Twitter hard news in a way? Sometimes it is, but oftentimes it's very much not. So these things with modern technology get a lot more blended, um, which is also why even this conversation in terms of style gets more blended too, because 
who is doing it. It used to just be hard news is mostly done by people writing at newspapers. And so a newspaper can control the style. It can control how it wants to sound, what stories it's doing. As we've expanded both good and bad, um, that has become a lot more muddied. So the style has also become a little bit more muddied as well. Um, but I would say when you think about hard news, my I would say most people think of either your nightly news or a newspaper and and sort of also the web connections to that. And then also to some degree, you know, national news, um, cable news and stuff like that, or, you know, ABC's nightly news yeah. rather than their local station. If you're looking for something specifically in print, is there, is there a gold standard? I know that, you know, the popular ones are like New York times, but right. is, is there, is there one that is held up for students to say, if you want to look at something that's done unbiased as unbiased as it can be. And, and as, as an example, as the, um, not the, not the archetype, but like the, uh, I guess we'll use archetype. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean a couple, I, I wouldn't say there's just one. Mm -hmm. Um, I think news is bigger than like, say sports. Like there's not an ESPN where it's like ESPN is the top of the line doing this. Are they always the ones doing it the best? No. Um, but they are sort of the, the top of the line, right? Sure. Um, but I would say, yeah, the, the, the really big newspapers, the New York times, the Washington post, um, and the wall street journal are probably, you know, very high up there. Um, those would be, I mean, personally for me, the New York times is, is my go-to. And the thing I will just sort of, uh, say for any of your listeners, yes, those papers all do have some political leanings. Um, the way it's supposed to work is that those political leanings are, are expressed in their columns and in their editorials. Um, but when they're doing hard news, and I will tell you as someone who went to school for this and with people who are now doing it professionally, hard news journalists at big news organizations, respected news organizations, they care about telling an objective truth when they're telling a story. That is really the heart of what they do. And to tell a story that is has slant to it and fabrication to it is really almost like an insult to their very idea of what journalism is. So to me, if, if you are reading hard news at those big newspapers, you're getting something that's going to be very well reported and is, is tried to be expressed as objectively as possible. Everyone has their own personal biases. And of course, that is going to have some impact. But for the most part, yeah, I would say the pinnacle of great hard news is going to be those types of media outlets. And I think newspapers in terms of print, I mean, they're doing hard news more than magazines are because they're doing it daily. Could you talk a little bit about the Associated Press? I know that that's kind of... Oh, well, yeah, the AP as well. I mean, yeah, so the, the AP is is a sort of conglomeration of, uh, you know, they are sort of the, the standard that is set for journalists in terms of ethics and all of that. And they also do the news themselves. Um, and basically the AP is, is sort of a, a, a collection of journalists that sort of help spread the news to other media outlets. Um, and so your local newspaper still wants to cover some national stuff, right? It's important for people in Pittsburgh to know about big things going on in Los Angeles, right? And but they don't have a reporter in Los Angeles covering that stuff, but they can have access to what's called the AP wire and pick up what maybe the LA times wrote on this topic, but it actually not with the LA times, what the AP wrote on this topic, right? Cause the AP has got people everywhere. Um, and they can grab that AP story and put it in the Pittsburgh newspaper. Um, so that people in Pittsburgh can hear that important story. Um, so that's sort of what the AP's role is. And definitely like journalists who work for the AP are doing real yeoman's work in terms of journalism. Um, and, and, and honestly, yeoman's work also because it's, it's probably a little less sexy, right? Um, to say I work for the, if you're in the business and you know, someone works for the AP, that's like, okay, well, you clearly know what you're doing. Um, but for the public, it's, it's a lot more enticing to be like, oh yeah, I'm a New York times columnist, right? Than like, yeah, I cover news stories for the AP. You said earlier about um, you can uh, a newspapers like the New York Times and the Washington Post, um, they have political slant in their editorials, but not in their hard news, hard, hard news, hard news sections. Or, or at least <laughs> Hopefully there's no <laughs> politics in those either. <laughs> right. Well, if, if you were to get, say, a printout of an article uh, from, say, the New York Times, would you be able to tell where that is from? Absolutely. In the newspaper? And, Absolutely. And how would you do that? Um, so a, a newspaper that's properly organized should have a very clear editorial section. If there is someone's picture, like, I, I don't mean a, like a picture of the event happening, but like one of the journalists pictures, like a headshot, 
it is an opinion piece. It's a column. It's not hard news. Um, hard news may have a byline. In fact, it should have a byline, but it would never have the, the journalist's headshot there. Um, and usually um, the hard news is going to be on page one um, and, and further pages in, and there will be a special section inside for um, editorials and stuff. Oftentimes you will get one column um, that is, as the name suggests, a single column to the right or left of the front page layout that will have a headshot there. And that is an opinion piece. Um, and then the rest of the front page will usually be real news stories. Um, there is a difference, I would say, um, immediate hard news and like a long-term investigative piece when we're talking about structure are, could be fairly different. And, and so really what we're mostly going to be talking about, um, today is more immediate hard news and not like deep investigative Bob Woodward and Bernstein, you know, stuff. Um, it's, it is the, you know, the fire down the street kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, all of both investigative stuff and hard news will be on that front page will be typical, just headline byline story, um, where if you open up a newspaper, it should be clearly labeled when it's the editorial section and the columns again, will, will be structured visually differently. Sure. Well, let's kind of jump into the meat of the episode then here. So we're going to talk about journalistic structure and and how as writers, we can essentially not look like frauds when we try to write news uh, articles for our, our stories. So let's take potentially the most basic or almost cliche story and let's use that as our example. Let's say that there's a murder, yep. high profile murder in a city, structurally front page news. Like what are we looking at? Right. So, um, first of all, I just want to note that a lot of the info that I'm, you know, if I'm getting into specifics or whatever, um, and this is, if you're really trying to do this authentically, this is going to be a 20 minute or whatever segment. There's a lot more to learn than I can say in 20 we're minutes. 14 in already. So it's going to be a while. <laughs> right. But, but either way, um, so the book that I really learned off of in terms of my journalistic writing and, and was taught at Newhouse a lot, it's called writing and reporting the news as a story. And it is written by, um, Robert Lloyd and, uh, Glenn, Guzzo. Um, Robert Lloyd, Bob Lloyd, um, was my advisor and professor. He was a phenomenal teacher and a longtime newspaper man. Um, and he, th this book is excellent. I highly suggest to anyone who's really trying to write journalistically by the book. Um, I, I'm, you know, it's not like I'm getting any proceeds off of that. I found it very useful. It's written also in a fairly journalistic style. Um, and not in terms of structure, but in terms of wording. And we'll get to that later. But when we get into structure, um, we're talking about inverted pyramid, which is the, the sort of standard for a hard news structure. And what inverted pyramid boils down to is most important information first, right? So, and, and really to me, one of the best ways to think about this is if your friend asks you what happened, what do you say, right? If Jake comes to me and says, dude, I heard there's like some murder downtown. What happened? Well, the first thing you'd be like, oh yeah, like you know, the, the mayor got shot, um, by, you know, someone from the other party. They haven't found the guy yet. Yeah. Um, and you know, he got like, he was walking down the street and, and this guy just came up and like shot him in the chest and he was like dead on arrival. Right. I got the major information out there. Right. Yeah. Other information, like, you know, uh, maybe even what the guy's political leanings are maybe be secondary, right? Really the mayor got shot and he's dead. Right. And the guy's still at large. That's the, the major part of that story. Right. Um, who the guy was, what was his motives a little bit secondary that, that may come a little later. Maybe there is some specific thing that the mayor just did that pissed off a lot of people, right? That would come maybe a little next, um, were there witnesses that's going to come a little later. And then like, you know, where is this guy from, right? Is he from the town? How do we know about, what do we know about him? That's going to come later on because you want the most important information at the top. And so your first sentence is what's going to be called the lead. Um, and that is, um, and, and even in this book, there are quotes from journalists. The lead is both the most important and the most difficult thing to write in a hard news story. It is your first sentence. Um, and you really, it, it's, it's a really difficult thing because you want to answer all of the question words if you can in the lead. So in one sentence, in one sentence, who, what, where, when, why, and how, and not only do you want to do that and tell what was most important, you also want to do it in a really easy to read way. <laughs> um, 
And that's really hard. So even though it's one sentence and you're, you should be using very straightforward language, you're not trying to be poetic at all. And when we get into more the actual style of the writing, we'll get more into that. Um, but it, it is really hard to craft. And oftentimes it's, it's something that like the writer will maybe write at the beginning and then at the end, come back and try and rewrite it. Now that they have a better grasp of what they're telling. Um, some novels work too. Sometimes. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so there is an example in this book that I think is really well worth, um, reading and, um, you know, regardless of this, this book was probably not that long after September 11th when this was written. So this was a particularly pertinent sort of storyline that a lot of people were writing at the time. Um, a suicide bomber calmly walked into a popular Baghdad kebab restaurant at lunchtime Sunday and killed at least 23 people eating plates of lamb and rice, the deadliest attack in the capital in just over six weeks. So I would say maybe the lamb and rice thing doesn't need to be in there, but the the writer is certainly trying to be specific, right? Which is also important in the lead. You don't want vague information in the lead because that's not good news. If, if you asked me what happened and I was giving you a bunch of vague answers, you're not really getting the answer that you want. Some guy walked into like a building. <laughs> right. That's not very helpful. Um, so you have, um, you know, the a suicide bomber. That's really important. Um, they killed at least 23 people. Obviously new information is coming in all the time. It could be more, maybe someone's in the hospital. We'll get to that later, but at least 23 people were killed. That is a really important piece of this. Where were they killed? Particularly with a suicide bomber. Usually that's a targeted thing, which again, we'll get to later in the story. Um, but where they were a Baghdad kebab restaurant, what, when, when did it happen? Lunchtime Sunday, right? Um, so how, well, suicide bomber walked calmly, right? So there we have a, how we're answering all the question words. And then we're also getting some important context, um, in terms of the deadliest attack in the Capitol in just over six weeks. Now that is hyphenated. Um, so, uh, that maybe could be a second sentence or whatever, but even that is following inverted pyramid. That piece of information comes last. Why? Cause it's the least important part of that sentence. So that you start with that lead, you try and basically tell if, 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 your reader only reads that one sentence, they should be able to leave saying, I basically know what happened. That's the goal. You're not trying to titillate anybody with hard news. Right? No, yeah. no, it is just the facts. And certainly you're going to mention things that you're going to dive into more detail later, yeah. right? You're going to have a whole article. Um, but so, you know, even like the why the, this lead doesn't really answer the why. Um, and maybe that's because there's not a clear answer. I, if this happened, 12 hours ago. I mean, it's a suicide bomber walked into a kebab rush. Maybe, you know, your readers are starting to connect some lines reading that, but your job is not as a journalist is not to connect the dots. When you're doing hard news, your job is to tell what the dots are. So that to me is, you know, this, there may not be a clear why here. So we're giving you the, the, the question words that we do have answers to. And later in the article, we may, maybe there's some speculation, maybe eyewitnesses have a rough description of the person, maybe, you know, whatever authorities have some guesses as to what may have happened. Right. We'll get to that later in the article. We'll get to calmly walked in. We'll get to, you know, how busy was the restaurant? If at least 23 people were killed, right. How many people were in the restaurant? How many survivors were there? How many are injured? We're getting to, we're going to get to that. But the really important pieces of this are in that first sentence. It's interesting that what stuck out to me is, is and, and you picked up on it too, was that they, they, they talked about eating lamb and rice. And I'm wondering if that was uh, a, uh, an intentional choice by the journalist to um, kind of humanize the victims a little bit. I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, of all the different things that you could do that would have some opinion um, in terms of contextualizing, that's probably the least dangerous. Yeah. Um, I would hope most people, you know, readers don't have problems with you humanizing people who just were murdered. Um, but yeah, that's that's a good point, because you really don't want to add in hard news connotation to denotation. And and there is some connotation, I think, in that potentially um, you're you're reading into that. You are you're reading into things that aren't there and you kind of want to avoid that as a journalist. I, I think um, what this journalist is trying to do is paint a picture, right, is is allow you to visualize what was happening and details help you do that. And certainly as authors, you guys know that, right? Um, I mean, we, we love painting pictures. <laughs> right. And uh, and honestly, that is something that particularly if I had read that in an article, I would have been like, okay, like, you know, 
I'm surprised that that's the example given here yeah. because I think that part could be debated. Um, but I, I think overall you're, you're talking about clearly this is a story that has a lot going on. Yeah. Um, and I do think it's, it's a really good job of boiling it down to, again, one sentence that tells you everything you need to know um, without. And, and this is, again, something stylistically we'll get to. Um, but you don't have to reread that sentence. You get it. You hear it once. You understand pretty much all the details. Uh, it's clear. And that is hugely important, not just in lead writing, but in all of journalistic writing. But it can get really difficult in lead writing because you're trying to pack a lot of information. And I think as we talk about things stylistically, if you continue to circle back and go like, wow, following those rules while writing a lead is a real challenging thing. And so I would say for for authors trying to nail journalistic stuff, spend a lot of time nailing the lead. If you get that right, I think a lot of things would be forgiven afterwards. Oh, for sure. I mean, we're most likely not professionals and we're writing a journalist right. piece. So as, as long as you can fake it, that would be right. And I think if nailing the lead and again, if you're doing hard news and, and the whole point of sort of the, the that being in the story is for your audience to get the gist of what a journalist is doing or, or what the lead is largely going to give you that anyway. So if you can nail the lead, first of all, you may only need the lead. Right. Um, and then even if you're going deeper in, the lead is going to be the, the part that really says this is journalistically written and is going to cue your audience of like, and that if it's well done, that should. It won't pull people out. Right. Yeah. Right. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you said uh, the lead is, is the most important information. Is there, is there a delineation between most important and most sensational? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the, the goal of hard news is not to elicit an emotional response. It is not to motivate people. It is not to convince people. It is to share information, important information, right? And again, I think um, one of the most important questions to ask or the question that I would ask myself a lot when writing journalistically, what does the reader want to know? And both in the, in the article in general, but also in the lead, you want to get to the point where the reader has no more questions, right? Obviously, to do that in one sentence is largely impossible if the person really cares deeply about the story. But think about, you know, if you're online, oftentimes you're getting one sentence, right, before you click on a story. And that would be called the... Uh, in terms of web, uh, yeah. I, I actually thumbnail or I mean, various words for it, depending sure. on, I, I don't think there's as clear or if there is, I'm not a web content editor. So anyway, um, sorry for interrupting. No, you, that's yeah. okay. Um, but so, or like you think about like, I get the New York times daily briefing, mm-hmm. right? I get that too. Yeah. And so you're usually oftentimes like you get the long article, but then you'll get somewhere you just get like a sentence. Yeah. And for me, like for some stories, that one sentence is enough. Right. Like I read the one sentence and I'm like, okay, I, I, that's sort of a thing that's going on now I know. And for me, my questions have been answered. Now, obviously if it's a story I care about, then I have more questions. Right. And, and I'll click the story and hopefully that the story will answer those questions. But when you're writing a lead, it's like, if if it's the person who's casually interested in this story, you want them to be able to read, read the lead and get out. Um, and that's actually the whole inverted pyramid style is for, two reasons why this exists really one so that the reader can get the information they need and nothing else so if i am let's let's just say the full article is 100% of the story it won't be but let's just say it is right if i'm only 50% interested in the story i can get the 50% i'm interested in and nothing more because the most important stuff came first right, right. so i read 50% and i'm out if you're interested in 75% of the story, then or 75, you know, you get to read 75% of the article and you're out. If you're 100% invested in the story, you read the whole article and you're done. There's no twist. At the There's end. <laughs> no twist at the end. You, you want the whole point of journalism is about ease of accessibility. It needs to be easy to consume. So the whole point is you can stay as invested in this as you need to be. And then you can get out and not feel like, yeah, but the, I have a few lingering questions that I wanted answers to. Um, no, like every question that you needed answered is answered. And actually, I will say this is something where I think this happens less often in on the web. And part of the reason for that is the other reason why Inverted Pyramid exists is because when you have newspapers, you actually have a limited space for articles. And so the editors sometimes need to cut some of the story, right? 
Well, if if your story is uh, usual suspects and you cut the last 10, you're the last paragraph, the whole movie is ruined. Right um, now, the editor would have to read through the whole story and really try and figure out where to, they don't have time for that. So you need to write it in a way where they can just be like, you know, what? we got to lop off the last paragraph. Yep. Chop 50 words. Right. Yeah. We got to chop 50 words. And instead of having to sift through the thing, we just chop the last 50 words and we're done in the web. You don't have to do that because it's an infinite space. And so I, I often like, you know, I'm a big sports guy and I look at ESPN and sometimes, you know, sadly, there are reports about like someone died. Right. And I got to like scroll to the bottom before they actually tell me what they died of or how they died. And oftentimes it's just like, you know, authorities don't know or it hasn't been released or whatever. But like when I see someone died, my first question is how and why, especially when they're like 30. Right. And like I get that you want to go through who they were and all they did in their sports career and have quotes from teammates who love them and all that. And that's great stuff. But like, I don't got time for that, right? Like, I I want to move on to the next story about the Steelers, <laughs> and like, I kind of knew who this guy was, right? Like, it's you know some former you know Dallas Cowboy player whose name I know, and he's kind of young, and it's like that's sad. Okay, I want to see how he died, right? And like, I often have to scroll to the bottom of the article, and both as a, an audience member and as a journalist, it really pisses me off because I'm like, no, that should be towards the top of the story, even if you don't have an answer you should say at the top of the story, we don't know, you know, obviously in better words than that, but like that, that to me is a failure of invert of they're not using inverted pyramid. And that to me is, is a failure. I wonder if, 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 and I'm, I'm obviously, I'm not a journalist, but I, I wonder if, if, if some people, they, they feel the need to protect the family of them, of, of that person. But again, it's not, I mean, well, but, but that's, that's more a matter of what information you're sharing, right? What information you are willing to share to me, you put at the top in terms of how and why they died. Yeah. Um, if it's like, you know, they suspect drug use, but the autopsy isn't done yet. Right. Then just put at the top, like, you know, inconclusive. Uh, uh, yeah. Authorities are waiting the results of an autopsy until they make a ruling on, you know, the, the cause of death. Okay, great. Put that in the second paragraph and I'm happy. Right. But like, just don't put it at the bottom I, I, that doesn't either way. It doesn't protect the family anymore or any less. Yeah. And you have a duty to report that as right. well, you know, because that's what your audience wants. I mean, you know, like, yes, as a journalist, you have to have some morals and some ethics in terms of what you report and what you don't, but your job as a journalist is to share the important news with people. Right. So like you, you have to, the journalists are always balancing those lines and, and every journalist draws lines in different places. Right. Um, but like, that to me, if it's just a matter of where you're putting it in the story, if you're comfortable putting it in the story, you should be comfortable putting it anywhere in the story. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. B- before we get into uh, tone, I want to ask you about the cliche that I was taught to me in high school when I took one journalistic writing class uh, was that the news is written on a fourth grade level. Is that? Do you find that to be generally accurate or is it? Well, no. I mean, it you... I went to school for this. Right. I don't think a fourth fourth grader could do it. What that means though, and there is some truth to that, um, is you want everyone to be able to read your article. This is not writing for academics. Okay. Um, This is every dude who dropped out of high school. If they can read, they should be able to read what you wrote. Yeah. So in that sense, yes, obviously you can use simple sentence structure and use a uh, simple vocabulary, right? And still say things intelligently, still tell an intelligent story, right? Those are not mutually exclusive things. Um, but that is, but the, the truth to that is that yes, someone with a limited reading level should be able to get through your stuff. And this is, I mean, this does sort of get into tone and we'll just sort That's of make segue, that segue yeah. anyway. Um, to me, some of the most important goals of a journalist, particularly when writing hard news, if you're writing features, you can get a little more flowery. And, and, and that's also why when you talk with a lot of journalists, um, they love feature writing and me too. That was my favorite part because you get to actually like have fun with it. But for hard news, your goals should be a, um, that the person like can't believe how quickly they got through it. Right. Um, two, that they have no questions or very few questions and three, and this is the one that's difficult for authors. They don't notice the writing. They don't notice it. They should know the information that was told. They should have a firm grasp 
of the story, they should not go, wow, that was really well written. You don't want them thinking that. You don't want them going, that was a beautiful sentence. Let me reread it. You never, ever, ever in journalistic writing want someone to have to go back and reread something you wrote. Not time that to show is, off. Yeah. It is not time to show off. Because if it is poetic and they're like, oh, wait, now all of a sudden I got to go back and reread that, fail. And particularly now that things are on online, right? It, as soon as you get through an article and you're like, wait, what? Never mind. I'll just go to a different article, which people can do with a newspaper too, because there's another article just on the next page or right next to that one, right? So you, the, the whole goal is to make it extremely easy to read. And so that gets into, obviously, that's about how you're wording it, Right. Um, and so using simple language, only having one thought per sentence, um, avoiding jargon, being specific and not vague, right? So like, you know, in this article, at least 23 people were killed rather than like a number of people were killed, right? Um, or like a, a Baghdad kebab restaurant rather than like a restaurant or like, you know, a, a popular local establishment, right? Like, what does that mean? Um, so using specific language and, and there's a bunch of other being using active voice rather than passive voice, which hopefully both most authors I would hope are doing anyway. Um, uh, also avoiding repetitive language. Um, but there are also things like not using a lot of numbers, right? Numbers confuse people. Don't sure. make your audience do math. I'm all for that. Right. Don't, don't be like, you know, they were, if you're going to say this person, you know, lived 72 years or they've been doing this for 40 years, say that rather than saying they started in 1960 and finished their career in the year 2000. Maybe say that and say like during their 40 year career that spanned the 1960s through the 2000s. Right. But you're not making them do math. Um, and just don't, don't use too many numbers. Um, also don't use a bunch of, uh, proper nouns in too close proximity. Cause that can get confusing. Like street names, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, but it, or like oftentimes, particularly someone who works for a university, right? Like you're using the name of the university and then like the professor's title and then the English department title. And then like, it can very easily be like, Whoa, hold on. Right. So like, let's find a way to break that up. Um, and, and so really your test should be handed off to someone who's not like, the world's most accomplished reader and be like, read this. Did you have to reread anything? And if they say yes, you have work to do. Sure. Are you confused? Yeah. Are, do, yeah. do you know what it said? And did you get through it the first time? Did you understand what it said? That, you know, got through it you know, the, the whole time, um, you know, in, in one clear, you know, in just one reading. Just listening to, to you talk about this, I've, I've come to realize that most of the news that is pitched at me through like social media algorithms are, is not hard news. Because, I mean, it, right. it's, it's written to, to masquerade as hard news. Yes. But, like, when I am scrolling through Facebook and I see, you know, man kills infant son and, and three-year-old daughter in terrible, like, that's all in the lead of the, the slug of the, of the article. Well, man you know? kills infant daughter certainly very relevant. Yeah, yeah. I'm... I'm, it's it's if 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 there are words like you know, in gruesome yeah whatever right like those are words you're not you're doing it and actually this is one that I didn't bring up in terms of lead writing but but actually pops up in this book a lot I, I will be honest it's not a structure that um I'll just rewind a bit because I grew up not reading books but reading endless sports articles um my natural inclination is to write journalistically so there are a lot of things that. I didn't know that I wrote journalistically. And then I started doing journalism in high school. And like I had teachers being like, wow, you, you write really well. Like your journalistic style is great. And I'm like, I wrote like a sports article. Like I, <laughs> well, no, I, I just wrote it how it appeared in my head. Like I didn't try. That's just how it came out. That's not bragging. Cause I can't write like you write. Um, that's just how my head works because that's what I consumed when I was younger. Um, but they really suggest doing a lead in subject verb object um, format. Um, and when you're talking about leads and just hard news writing in general, you're, you're going to deal with a lot more verbs and nouns than mm -hmm. you are adverbs and adjectives. That's, that's perfect advice. Cause we hate adverbs too. Right. So <laughs> it's, you know, you're, uh, and particularly things again, avoiding connotation, right? You're dealing mostly with denotation in, in hard news. And so I think when, when you're looking at a lot of those things, you get to tossed on Facebook, right? 
there's a lot of words that have very intentional connotations that are trying to elicit an emotional reaction, which is not what hard news should be doing. Yeah. Could you go back just for a second? Do you have an example of that subject verb object? Um, um, yeah, probably somewhere in here. Um, not that I tagged, although, I mean, I think the lead that we went over. So I, I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, a, a suicide bomber subject, right. Um, walked calmly, right. Um, in, into a popular Baghdad restaurant. Verb. Um, yeah, yeah. And killed at least 23 people object. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's, it's following it right there. Excellent. Um, and, and I would say, I mean, there, there are a lot of other lead examples in here that probably follow that as well, though. I haven't like gone through each one. Sure. sure. Um, but yeah, so that, that is, that is a, um, again, I, I did flag it and I skipped it earlier, um, when we were talking about lead writing, but it's the reason my brain didn't go to it is because for me, I think I naturally tend to do that. Um, so that wasn't one I needed to have beaten into me, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> but there are certainly other things that have beaten into me. Let's, let's kind of shift the conversation a little bit. I, I, I know that this may be uh, a little bit frustrating to talk about, but if, for example, a, an author wanted to include those say less prestigious articles in their work to kind of give a sense of like the cultural response to a big event. Like how would you go about just high level stuff, maybe making something sound like Vox or the daily beast or the daily wire. Right. Right. Um, so I, I would say again, think about clickbait, right? Think about using words and taking details that are going to make someone take notice and have an emotional response. Um, that that when we're talking about headlines and stuff, and then just think about the fact that you know the difference of trying to again, if your friend asked you what happened, your usual reaction is pretty much just the, the important details. That's what we tend to do. When talking about more biased websites. Think about the next couple sentences or the next couple parts of that conversation where then your friend goes, oh, wow, that's messed up. Right. And you go, oh, yeah, it is. And you start getting into your thoughts about it. Right. That's that is where you're getting into bad journalism. Right. And and obviously, you know, uh, some of the websites you mentioned, I mean, they're they're going to do it cleverly where it's not quite as obvious. Right. Because they still want to make it sound like they're giving you the hard and fast facts so that you're buying everything they say. But it is if there is sensationalism built in, um, again, if there are more, you know, descriptive words that are, you know, not necessary, right? Co- you know, popular kebab restaurant. It's important that that restaurant was popular, right? Because there's going to be people in it. It's important that it's a kebab restaurant because, first of all, people in the area want to know what restaurant. They didn't give the name of the restaurant. And there may, may be a reason for that in terms of like the news report and they don't, you know, blah, blah, blah. But like, first of all, that narrows down the like, is that your favorite restaurant? Was that a restaurant that like your wife was going to for lunch? Right. Like, yeah. um, don't you need don't, to worry about something. Right. Like, yeah. like, oh, well, no, she went to the Mexican restaurant. So like, we're OK. Right. Um, and also, my guess is that is probably when you look at the nature of that story. Right. The ethnicity of that restaurant is probably going to come into play in terms of motive, which we're not getting to in the lead, probably because there aren't hard and fast answers there yet. Right. But it is probably an important part of that story, unfortunately. Um, so like that, those details matter. Right. If you went into details, like if, if, if that just said like Muslim restaurant, right. Then like, okay, now you're just saying like, that's something you're more likely to be saying because you want a certain reaction out of people rather than just trying to explain the type of restaurant that it is. Right. Yeah. So, so so kind of what I'm hearing is, is if people want to kind of emulate that that style for again like a tonal reason um in their novel you really need to think about like like what is this media outlet a salesman for is it for a political ideology that sort of thing okay well i to me hard news they're not a salesman right i'm talking about like right so i i mean the the first question is is this person a salesman or not right are they are they are they trying to get your attention or are they trying to inform you right like that's, uh, and, and most things online, and this is, again, this is where things get muddied because when you're online, when you are writing a newspaper, right? When you are holding the newspaper, you don't need to be convinced to buy the newspaper. You already have it, right? When you're online, you need to be convinced to click on an article. You need to be convinced to go to that website. You need to be convinced to do these things. And unfortunately, um, 
the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, they live in that world too. They have to in order to keep existing. Right. right? You got to pay people. <laughs> they got to pay people and not people don't pay for newspaper subscriptions anymore. So you got to have a paywall and you got to get people to click on your stuff. And like that's so now they exist in that world too. And that's where this gets muddied. Right. But like ultimately, once you get into the article, hopefully um, it becomes if it's a, a good journalistic website, you can tell that they are now like, OK, you clicked on it. You're here. Right. We're going to give you the facts. We're going to give you the objective stuff that we know is true. And, and keep in mind, journalists are taught things need to be verified by three sources before you put it in. OK. Yeah. So now, obviously, if it's like, you know, um, what house caught on fire? Well, I drove past and that was the one that was on fire. I don't need three sources to verify that. Right. But like um, what, you know, uh, what ethnicity was the suicide bomber? What right? type of gun was used? What type certainly. of gun were they using? The, the, you can get into difficulty now. A journalist certainly maybe you'll say authorities are say they are looking for so and so. Right. That's now, that's not a, it's a fact that that's what the authorities are looking for. It's not right? an accusation. It's yeah. not a, a fact as to who that person is. And that's sort of the games that real hardcore journalists will have to, you know, those are the, that is sort of the things they have to think through and balance. But for them to actually say in an article, you know, the murderer was this person, like you need sources verifying that. And if you ever watch like a, a great journalistic movie is um, all the president's men, the, the um, movie about Woodward and Bernstein breaking um, the Watergate scandal. And that there's a reason why they keep like going to these assistants and being like, well, it's like off the record, but like, can you tell us who's involved in the money? Right. It's because they already had one person who was saying, here's what happened. And they took it to the editor and their editor was like, but that's just one random person. And like, I get that, that you feel like that's a credible person, but they could still be full of crap. So like you need to get it from like at least one other person, really two other people. And so they're trying to talk to secretaries and they're trying to talk to, you know, a lower level people or like someone else, you know, to try and get three people saying like, yeah, this dude was involved. And you, you can sort of see them crossing off the list of like, okay, we got a third person confirming Haldeman, right? But we don't have a third person you know, uh, you know, on Kibby, right? So like now we need to find a third person on Kibby because their editors like you can't run this unless you got three people because then we're pretty sure it's true. Um, and so that is, again, if, if it's a newspaper, you know, or if it's, if it's an online web source that is, is just spewing out all these details and you're like, the New York times didn't have that detail. Well, there's probably a reason they didn't print that detail. They probably had it. They didn't print it because it's not verified. Um, but some websites are perfectly happy to go with the one source info. And that's kind of, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's why you get um, leads like a man was connected, uh, was arrested in connection to this murder on this day. Because it's like, it, they're not going to say that he did it, but he's right. Uh, that's just the fact. He was arrested. In, yeah, in that's connection. a fact. Yeah. Right. Excellent. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else for, for hard news for... Yeah. 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 One thing, an important thing that we didn't touch on, and this is, I have two books in front of me. I already mentioned one. This is the other, this is the AP style guide. And if you are going to do really any journalistic writing, this exists in an online fashion. Um, I went to school. It is. Yeah. I went to school back in the day where we all had hard copies of this. Hmm. So because I haven't been doing this a while, I actually, I don't know if this is available for free. I, I know some pages probably are, um, but they come out with it every year because language updates. But basically what this is, this is an entire book um, called the, the Associated Press Style Book, and it is sort of accepted ways for journalists to handle certain words and phrases because you don't realize how many things in our language there are multiple ways to express, and it can, be, can get confusing if you're expressing it in, in different ways every time. So it's important for things to be consistent. So um, anything from like, you know, street address, do you write out street or do you ST period, right? Well, what about lane? That one's really short. So we do an abbreviation for lane. But what about boulevard? That thing's really long. Are we abbreviating boulevard? Right. The French. Well, know. there's an answer to all those questions and it's in the style guide. Some things are really simple. I'm just on a, on a page for N. Um, Nova Scotia, capital N, capital S, one of the three maritime providences of Canada. Do not abbreviate. So if you're writing something about Nova Scotia, you're saying Nova Scotia and you're capitalizing the N and the S every time. No right? NS. Now there are complicated ones. Numerals literally like has its entire own page. Um, and like anything from, you know, use Roman numerals when talking about wars 
um, when talking about personal sequence for animals and people. So like King George VI, um, rather than, uh, I think that's the, is it the fourth? IV is the fourth. Right, right. So King George the sixth, right. You're doing VI rather than the numeral six or rather than writing out six. Sure. Um, you're using the actual numeral for one through nine and zero, but once you get to 10, you're writing it out. So that's T E N. So there are, there are rules for that, right? Like, um, there are all kinds of rules for numerals. So that's a complicated one. Uh, Nova Scotia, like I said, was a pretty simple one. Um, and what a journalist, like we had every single news writing class for like two semesters, we had AP style quizzes, which is basically like a, a bunch of sentences that have multiple AP style issues. And you have to know the book well enough to know what's in the book so that you know which ones are wrong. And you still might need to consult the book to make sure you get it right. But you're like, okay, I'm pretty sure there was something about addresses in the book. So I need to go through the A's and figure out where that is. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that's, um, if, if you really want to make sure that your stuff is sounding like a journalist, you need to have access to the AP style guide. Um, also keep in mind that each individual newspaper is going to have their own style guide for local things as well. So you could do, if you really wanted to like show off your, you know, journalistic acumen and have your character, like maybe they're reading something in like the great falls tribune or something. And they're like, Oh yeah, the way they like, you know, maybe they're the characters like a former journalist and like, yeah, they don't capitalize that because it's the local style. It's stupid, even though that goes against the AP style guide, right? Yeah. Like that, that kind of stuff. Exists Those particulars as well. are huge though, too, to build character. Right. Yeah. right. Real quick. We're going to talk features if you have yeah. time for that. Love it. Yeah. So tonally and structurally, the difference between a feature and hard news. I mean, I've written features for you before. I've yep. read your features that you've written. Um, everyone seems to enjoy writing features yeah. way more. It's a story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're really telling it now, granted, I will say the beginning, the, the title of the textbook we're, we're doing is writing and reporting the news as a story and you can still make it a story. And that's part of what makes journalists great at their craft, particularly doing hard news that you can tell hard news, you can do inverted pyramid and you can st still tell a story. There's a threat. Right. It, is, yeah. Right. Is it, but that, that's a difficult thing to pull off. Features are just a story. And, and in terms of structure, it's a lot more open for you to tell the story how you want. Um, usually you're going to begin with a soft lead. So what we were talking about lead writing, that is a hard lead, right? A soft lead is going to be a story to get you into the larger story. Um, and the way this is usually, I, I would, you know, in more academic vernacular, um, you're going um, microcosm to macrocosm and then back to micro. Um, or you're zooming in, zooming out, and then slowly zooming back in is what you're doing in most feature stories. So it, let's say I was doing a feature story. Um, well, let, let's say I'm doing one about you, right? Um, I might start off with, you know, Jacob Bogger sits in his dimly lit living room with a microphone and a folding table, you know, a close friend across from him, you know, uh, they, they banter back and forth into the microphones, you know, you're starting to give details and telling the story of the night that we're having. Right. Um, usually that's going to be some, you're really painting a picture. This is a movie scene, right? It's going to be depending on the length of the feature, probably like two paragraphs, usually ending with a quote. And then you get into what's called the nut graph, which is basically, this is where you're putting your actual lead, right? So you have the soft lead and this is usually sometimes feature um, feature stories can be inverted pyramid with a, a scoop of ice cream on top. Right. Um, so you have this ice cream cone and then you have this light fluffy story on top to get you in. Sometimes they can take a more uh, a, an even more featurey structure than that. But um, if you were to draw it out, we sort of drew it out as an ice cream cone. Um, so you do the soft lead, which is the ice cream, and then you do your nut graph, which is really the start of your inverted pyramid. And so your nut graph can be a little more verbose than a hard lead and a little more creative in its language. But ultimately the nut graph is the thing where if you only read one part of the story, you should read the nut graph and you'll know what it's about. The nut graph is really telling you, here's why I'm telling you the story, right? I just told you this nice little story really painted a picture for you. Here's why I told you that. Now let me tell you the full thing. So kind of what I'm hearing is that you guys kind of, um, make the same decisions in future pieces that we make when writing longer short stories and, and even novels where you, you choose to have a character hook and then a story hook yep. and then a character round out or conclusion to kind of tie the right, story together. Right. Now the, the, the structure after that, um, there, there can be a number of different structures. Certainly chronological can be a very popular one. Just sort of tell the story from the beginning and go through. 
um, because your your soft lead may very well not be chronologically placed. But then once you hit the nut graph, you can go chronological from there. One that I liked a lot was um, present, past, future. Um, so you hit your soft lead, you do your nut graph, you take from the nut graph and expand on what's currently going on. Then you go back in time and do sort of a flashback how we got here. And then you go, what's going to happen in the future? Um, I think that's a very compelling format. I think so. Yeah. Um, I like that better than I, chronological. I like that. Yeah. But sometimes chronological, like I've done some really cool ones where like I hung out with an athlete for the whole day and did almost like a, a time clock of their day. And that's obviously chronological. That's also can be difficult to fit a nut graph in though. Like you find a way because it's still important to do that. Um, but like, um, and you know, so it's like, you know, I did one about a soccer player who was just a super good dude and did like volunteering and got like, you know, was triple majoring and had, you know, a 4.0 and like, you know, I think I read um, that one. That you yeah, wrote, yeah. Um, that actually did win a few awards, I think. But anyway, um, and, uh, and it was a snowy day in Montana. And so like, it started off like 5am, John pulls up in his car with a, you know, his, the fan belt squealing and, you know, everyone else is asleep and, you know, he pulls over to pick up a reporter, right. Who's me. Um, and then like, we go to this school. Um, and so, uh, yeah, like, and then you do six o'clock and he's at the school and he's helping the kids and blah, blah, blah. Um, so like that obviously would be chronological. So it just depends on the story and how you want to tell it. But that's why features are a lot of fun. Cause you, you get to, to actually play around with the format. Um, the other thing I would say about features, and I know, like, I know your wife is a big fan of the people of New York, humans of, um, New, humans York, of yeah. New York. Um, and, and really, uh, the whole idea of features is that every human being has a great story behind them, that there's a story to tell in everyone's life and that everyone has a story to tell that should relate to everyone. Um, that, that when you get to the heart of the, a feature should get to the heart of a human being. Um, that to me is what features really do powerfully. Um, and that's that heart of that human being should be relatable to everyone. I don't care if they're Tom Brady. I don't care if they're, um, you know, Jacques Cousteau or, you know, a, a, a homeless person on the street that there's something that everyone can relate to in that story. Um, and, and so that's, I mean, I, I find features not only fun to write, but they're also fun to write because they're beautiful. Um, hard news is to me, I mean, it, it has a beauty to it, but like, it's, it's not emotionally beautiful. Um, most of the time, um, where like features to me are, are very emotionally beautiful. I read a great feature on Tom Brady and I hated myself for enjoying it because he, right. he, yeah. I, I forget who the writer was. It was, um, might've been Ian. Ian Rappaport. Yeah. He's very good. He's very good. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, there are a number of, I, I wish I had the name right now. I, I didn't prepare as much for the feature story stuff, but, um, uh, there's a guy who wrote, I think for, for the Washington post for a long time, was just a master of feature stories. And he actually did a feature where he wanted to test this idea that like there is a good feature story everywhere. Um, and he picked a random place on a map and just went to that town and started just being in that town and eventually telling a great story. And like, it was literally to test that axiom that journalist students are taught that like, there's a good feature story in everyone. Well, if you find that, that uh, story or an article about yeah. that, let us know and we'll drop it in the uh, description of the episode. That's fascinating. Totally. Um, well, Josh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, what are you doing next with your life? Yeah, well, I've, I've definitely gotten out of the journalism game a little bit. Um, I've been uh, previously working for some after school programs for um, under resourced students, um, and I'm sort of taking that mentality um, and, and expanding on it. And I'm joining a program called Mary Noel Lay Missioners, um, which is sort of like a Peace Corps, only even longer and a little more intense, and with a sort of Catholic foundation. Sure, it is not evangelizing; it is serving. Um, but you know, it is. The, I would say the Catholic foundation of it and roots about it are more for the, the, the missioners than it is for the people there. It's, you know, these are really difficult places to go, really difficult things to deal with. And how are you emotionally finding life in it rather than being destroyed by it? Right. Um, but so I will be going to uh, San Salvador um, and, and living in El Salvador for the next three and a half years, maybe longer. Who knows how it goes? I don't really know what I'll be doing yet down there. You sort of figure it out once you get down there. But um 
So yeah, that's, that's what's next for me. I'm sure there'll be a lot of great stories down there, honestly. I mean, be. yeah. And, and actually that is, um, Marino wants to sort of expand some of their storytelling and I, hopefully they can use some of my skills. And, you know, fortunately I also have some background in videography and photography. Um, and hopefully I can use those to tell some good stories. Um, but it is, you know, the, the whole point is to be with the people you're serving. And so you also don't want to, uh, sort of, um, make a commodity out of their stories. Um, and so there, there's a balance there, um, to, I think it's going to be more about telling my story or telling the story of other missioners down there Your experience and, and our too, experiences yeah. rather than like, you know, look at this person and how woeful is their life kind of thing. I think um, that we, I mean, even not just Catholicism, but just the mission sort of culture that evolved out of the seventies, the eighties and nineties is kind of was really not respectful to those people who actually need the help. I mean, I remember going to, to, to church and seeing like people's, you know, grieving faces plastered up on the wall. And it's like, that's maybe it's a good fundraising technique, but it's certainly not. Well, I, I yeah. do think, um, I agree. It, it, it's bad when it's othering. Yeah. Um, and it is bad when it's basically taking advantage of, of people. Um, but I do think guilt has a place temporarily, at least. Um, Catholics for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, or Jews, um, lots of, lots of guilt in those cultures for sure. Right. Um, but, uh, but no, I mean, what, what I mean is in terms of morally and ethically, um, if guilt is what, um, drives people with privilege or, you know, with, with power or with resources to rethink things and go, maybe I should approach this different differently then I think that was a, a great emotion for them to have, right? You need to move on um, and then move to kinship, move to solidarity, um, move to love, right? But if that starts off with being woken up to what other people are, you know, what their existences are and, and the difficulty that that is, that isn't your reality and you going, oh, I don't feel good about the fact that that's their reality and not mine, which hopefully people have enough humanity to do, um, then I think showing that picture w may have been worthwhile. Again, it, it, you know, most moral questions are, are gray areas or, you know, there, there's fine lines and, and so you got to do it in the right way. Um, but there is, there is a, I think it's a, to me, one of the biggest issues and one of the main reasons I'm doing this is a lack of kinship in our world, a lack of, you know, someone sitting in Pittsburgh, um, sort of knowing that people in Haiti are suffering desperately, but not really caring, not feeling a sense of kinship. If we did, we would do a lot more, those of us who have things. Um, and I, I, this is to me an effort in trying to have more kinship with people whose experiences are very different from my own. Um, and, you know, I think when, when our storytelling can help create more kinship, then, and that, you know, feature stories should be able to do that because we're not very different human beings. We all want the same things. Um, and, and I think if, if feature stories or other forms of journalism or just other storytelling can allow us to feel more kinship with people who have very different lives than our own, then I think that's a really good thing. So, and, and, and if maybe that story does make you feel guilty and if so, then like, okay, what are you going to do about it? You know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, Josh, um, again, thank you for coming on the, the show. Um, is there any social media that you want to pitch? People have questions or any way to follow you in El Salvador? If uh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I am on Facebook. Um, Josh Watmore. Um, I don't really know what my profile picture is right now. I forget, but anyway, same um, one it's been for the last I, 10 years. <laughs> I currently probably, um, I'm not crazy active on that though. Probably will be more so when I'm down there. Um, sure. I don't have other social media yet though. I, I am very much considering doing an Instagram, um, while I'm down in El Salvador. Um, cause I think that'll be valuable. Um, but you can also go to Mary Knoll's website, Mary Knoll Lay Missioners. It's important to put in Lay Missioners because there's also Mary Knoll Fathers and Brothers and Mary Knoll Sisters. I am not a priest. I am not a nun. Um, so Mary Knoll Lay Missioners. Um, and they have a blog and I would definitely be contributing to that. And hopefully if, if I do have a social media platform that is that I decide to build that is useful to them, that they will also be promoting that as well. But I, I haven't um, sort of started on those ventures yet because I'm not there yet. Excellent. Well, we will link the uh, Marino Lay Missioners website in the description of the episode as well. Great. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, Josh. Well, it was great talking to you. 
and good luck in El Salvador. Thank you. You've been listening to The Archetypist. If you'd like to support us, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash archetypist or on Twitter under at archetypist underscore pod. Be sure to keep an eye on The Archetypist's Twitter account for the mystery genre book list and an exciting new launch of a new facet of The Archetypist podcast. If you have questions or suggestions, you can contact us on Twitter under the hashtag archetypistmailbag or email us at archetypistpodcast at gmail.com. Please contact us via email if you'd like to join us on the show for a guest episode or if you'd like to be interviewed on the podcast. Thank you again for listening and as always stay positive stay safe and stay connected archetypists out